Thank you for joining us for Sermons on Demand from Friendship Grace Brethren Church. We provide these videos as a way to share the pulpit messages and teachings offered at Friendship Grace Brethren Church. If you find these videos a helpful resource, please drop us a note at info at friendshipgracebrethren.com. Now open your Bibles and get ready to dig into the Word of God. Okay, let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, you are the great and awesome God. Thank you for all that you do for us. Thank you for loving us, calling us to be your children. Thank you for allowing us to be together today to worship you and honor you. We trust that everything we say would bring you glory. And as we continue to look at ways to engage with, with the folks around us, with our neighbors and our coworkers and our families, we just ask that you show us exactly how to do that and that you give us the courage to, to actually do it. Thank you for loving us in Jesus' name. Amen. And so the, the question I want us to ponder is, why? What was it that caused him this agony in the garden? Was it the humiliation? Was it the thorns? If any of you have been to Israel and seen these thorns, if you've just gone through a thorn patch, you think about having this shoved down on your head, you know, the scalp is very sensitive. Humiliation, the thorns, was that it? Matthew records, and the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him, and they stripped him, how humiliating and put a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him. And then they took the reed and struck him on the head while he's wearing the crown of thorns. Do you think this is what was causing the agony in the garden? The humiliation and the thorns, do you think that's what he was crying? No? Was it the scourge? The Romans were good at torturing people. The scourge was used to get people to confess to something. Eusebius writes, of this and says, their bodies were frightfully lacerated. I almost hate to read this to you. Christian martyrs in Smyrna were so torn by the scourges that their veins were laid bare and the inner muscles, sinews, even entrails were exposed. Was it the scourge? Isaiah tells us I believe exactly what it looked like. There were many who were appalled at him. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being, and his form marred beyond human likeness. Was it the scourge? And the scripture... And they took Jesus and scourged him. That's all. And they scourged him. Was that it? Was it the scourging? 
which probably none of us can even imagine, nor do we want to even think about or imagine what that would have been like. Do you think this is what was driving him to the point of death? No. Was it the crucifixion? Cicero called crucifixion the extreme and ultimate punishment of slaves. The ultimate punishment of slaves. The Romans knew how to do torture and how to inflict pain. Josephus called it the most pitiable of deaths. And the scripture simply says, and they crucified him. It doesn't tell us about the nails. These are replicas of the the nails that the Romans used, the spikes that the Romans used to nail the hands or wrists to the cross, to nail the feet to the cross. The scripture doesn't tell us about all this. It doesn't give us a description. Horrific. Is this what Jesus was in agony over? Is this what was causing him to cry out to the Father. What was it then? What was it that was causing Jesus the agony? What do you think? What was causing the agony? Sin. Pardon me? Sin and separation from the Father. Separation from God. How do we know that? Because he cried that out. Eli, Eli, I'm a Sabbathani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yeah, I think this is what it was. I think this is what it was. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I want us to think a little deeper here for a second because I want us to contemplate the fact of the Trinity because we usually think that it is only Jesus who's suffering here. Mm. What if you were the father and you saw your son going through this? What would it do to you? The triune God is mysterious to us and yet it is not mysterious. Jesus is God, the Father is God, the Holy Spirit is God. They are one in essence, and yet somehow they are three in persons, and yet they have been united for all eternity. They have been one for all eternity. And now all of a sudden, something is happening. I don't know what it is, but I know this. Jesus was in agony, and I I agree with you. I think this is what he didn't want to have happen. This is what he cried out, Father, is it possible that we don't have to go through this? And I think it's we. I'd like to ask you also another question that 
has troubled me. I've asked this of students as well. How long do you think this lasted? How long did this separation, or whatever was going on here, <clears throat> that Jesus is, is now suffering from, experiencing, how long do you think that went on? I've had, I've had some students say three days. And I say, why? Well, because he was, I've had some say three hours. I say, why? Well, there was darkness over the land. And I've had some say, well, I think three seconds. I said, why three seconds? Because I think that's how long it took him to cry. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And to some extent, I, I think about this and I think, well, yeah, in our time, we don't know. In our time, I don't know how long that lasted. But again, to think about the eternality of God. I began to think about the omniscience of God. You know, if so, I don't know, have any of you had a root canal or something like that? And maybe if you haven't, you've heard about it. It's sometimes used in common. Uh, comedy and so forth <laughs> as something that, that's not something you want to go through. Or childbirth. <laughs> Been through childbirth. What does the scripture say about the pain of childbirth? How long does it last? Mm. It's over and then the joy of the child, right? And you begin to forget. Now, now that doesn't mean you can't recall some things about it, but you think God has forgotten this? Who is interceding for us right now? Jesus. And when he intercedes for us, what is he appealing to? To for, the Father. Pardon me? To the Father. He's appealing yeah. to the Father. And what, what he's appealing, it sounds like if he's interceding for us, you know, it's almost like there's this continual forgiveness and so forth. So, well, how do you pay for that? What, did you, what did, do you think the Father says? Oh, wait a second. You can't, we can't just forgive that. And Jesus says, oh, now, you remember? You, do you remember back there? And do you think the, the, the father's saying, oh, no, wait a second. Okay, it's coming to me. It's coming. Tell me a little bit more. How clearly do you think the father remembers this cry? And I think in the omniscience of God, if you just look at the omniscience of God, there's something eternal about this thing. I'm not saying I understand it, but in the eternality of God, it wasn't just a get it over with, you know, but because I think I, I, I know each one of you, and, and I, I really, I would guess, you may, you may question what I'm about to say. I think each one of you would give your life for someone else. I, I think you would. And in some cases, you think about it and you say, well, you know, get it over if it's some, you know, whatever, line me up and shoot me or something. It, but what if it was something forever? What if it was something that went on and on and on? Would we be willing to do it? Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't know if I would. Mm -hmm. 
C.S. Lewis had a very interesting way to illustrate the eternality of God. He said, if you had a sheet of paper and could extend it in both directions endlessly, representing the eternality of God, and then drew a short line on the paper, the line would represent all of time engulfed in that eternal nature of God. And I love that illustration, even though we all know that when you try to put in finite terms the eternality of God and all of the attributes of God that are eternal and infinite and all that stuff, we fall short somewhere. And yet it's a great illustration for us because it helps us recognize that God is omnipresent. If we think he is omnipresent, he's omnipresent in time as well as physical places. And that is why Jesus, Jesus, if you ever contemplated this, Jesus didn't say, I was the Alpha and I will be the Omega, as we might say. Why? Because we're caught up in time. No, he says, I am the Alpha. I am the Omega. I am the beginning and I am the end. Why? Because he is ever present. Now, that's hard for us because you and I are so trapped in the cause and effect of time that it's difficult for us even to contemplate that God is eternal like this. And so I'm not trying to get us to somehow to be able to fully understand the eternal nature of God and the infinite nature of God and all of the attributes of God that are both eternal and infinite. I can't, we can't do that because have you ever thought about this? It struck me sometimes in math when we're talking about uh, infinite numbers and series and, and infinity that, you know, if you head off in this direction and, and, you, and you go for a thousand years, you haven't gotten any closer to the end nor have you gotten any farther away from the beginning. You know, it just, it blows your mind. We are trapped in the dash here in time, and that's the only way we can think. But God is not. God is outside of time. And we're not trying to somehow get our minds to the point where we can understand all of that, but what I want us to contemplate is that this cry of the God who is from everlasting to everlasting, that this cry is like a, a cry that stands for eternity. Th this penalty that's being paid on, on your behalf and my behalf is a penalty that is being paid for all future. It's a penalty that pays in the entire past. There's something eternal about it. And so when Jesus cries, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think we must contemplate that this was not just a momentary thing that Jesus could get, get by real quickly. Now, don't, do not mistake at all what we're saying here, 
We're not saying that Jesus is separated from the Father right now. He's not. We're just talking about the eternality of this event that was sufficient to pay the penalty. What is the penalty of our sins? He's separated from God for how long? Forever. Did Jesus pay that? Yes, he did, in full. And we know there is something eternal about this. We look, remember when John is caught up to heaven and he's weeping because there's no one found worthy to open the scroll. And one of the elders comes to him and says, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll. And John says, behold, he beheld a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Why does the scripture say that? Aren't we well past that? Didn't that happen in the past? Why does the lamb now stand as though it had been slain? Why? Because there's something eternal about this sacrifice that he still bears. There's another place in in the book of Revelation 2. It talks about the lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. There's some disagreement about how those words are arranged in, in the scripture in the Greek Slain from the foundation of the world is, is right next to the Lamb. Some think it applies to the book, the Lamb's book of life. But even if that has been written from the foundation of the world, what does that imply? That the sacrifice has eternal ramifications. Now, I, you know, I look at a lot of you, and you are still young. But my guess is that you're old enough to recognize that you already are subject to the gravity of time. Some of you may even have some scars. When we think of that eternal state, when we were given a new body, uh, do you think you will still have your arthritic elbow or or that you'll still have pain in your ankle. No, I don't think so. I'm looking forward to those days when I don't have any of that pain anymore. When we get our resurrected body, it's going to be without pain, without scars. Do you remember when Jesus was in his resurrected body and he met the disciples minus Thomas? And Thomas came in later, and the disciples were going, we, we saw him, the risen Lord. And what did Thomas say? And the only way I'll believe it is what? Put my fingers. I put my fingers. Because I saw him. He was crucified. If I put my fingers there in those holes and in the side where the spear was thrust into his side, then I'll believe. Mm-hmm. And do you remember Jesus showed up, and what did he say to Thomas? Feel this, Thomas. Feel this. Put your hand here. Jesus bears those scars forever. Why? Because the payment he made, 
There was something eternal about it. I can't understand it. I can't explain it. But there's something eternal about what he did. And it was so deep that he cries in the garden, my God, if it is possible, dear Father, let's not do this. And yet he says, not my will, but your will be done. And he set his face resolutely to do it. Though he was humiliated, though they stripped him, though they spit on him, they put a crown of thorns on his head and beat him with a reed, though they nailed him to a cross and hung him up in front of everybody, And though he knew that there was going to be a point when somehow the father would turn his face away. I don't know what that is, but it was enough for me to know that Jesus was in agony over that. There's an interesting word in the Greek. We find it here in Hebrews 10. But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever sat down at the right hand of God. And that's why you know that this separation, Jesus is sitting next to the Father. The, the Trinity is still intact. But the sacrifice was a forever sacrifice. The Greek word here is dionekos. It's the same word we see earlier in Hebrews. He remains a priest perpetually. Jesus didn't go through something and got it over. There was something deep about all of this. And that is why Paul is praying. He says, I pray that you may grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. I'm going to tell you a, a story when we filmed the Truth Project, you know, we had about 25 crew people. And from what I understand, none of them knew the Lord. And I think it was this second or third day, I don't recall, I had a dressing room. And there was a knock on the door. And a gentleman stuck his head in and, uh, and I said, hey. And he said, hey. And he came in and he said, uh, hi, my name's James. And uh, struck out his hand. And you know how some people won't look you in the eye? You know, and, uh, you know, hi, my name's James. And he said, well, I, I, I wanted to shake your hand. And I said, well, hey, James. And I shook his hand. He said, yeah, I, I wanted to shake your hand because, well, this is really making me think. And I said, well, great, James, I'm, I'm glad it is. And he said, but, but I'm just an engineer. And I said, oh, well, my dad was an engineer. And, and uh, he said, oh, well, my dad was a truck driver. And I said, well, that's a great vocation. And he looked at me, he said, that is a great vocation. And he said, well, I just wanted to thank you because this is really making me think. And then, and then he went out. And I thought, well, I want to have some more time with James. But it was impossible. <laughs> the, the way that filming went, it was impossible. And so, uh, then I, I mean, I waved at him every once in a while. But it wasn't until the last night we were over filming 
on Wednesday night, and I was coming out of the dressing room with my wardrobe, and I was walking through the control room, and I saw James in the corner there, and James was pulling some wires, and I said, hey, James, I just wanted to thank you, you know, uh, great professional job, and, he, and he, he put the cables down, and he came over, and he said, he said, no, no, I want to thank you, he said, because, he said, man, this, this really made me think, and, and uh, he said, do you mind if I ask you a question? I said, well, no, James. And he said, look, I, I've studied this, Jesus. When I was in college, I took comparative religion, and I, and I studied this, Jesus. But there's something that has bothered me all these years about him. And, uh, and I said, well, well, what is that, James? And he says, I've asked this question hundreds of people, never got an answer. And then I thought, uh-oh. <laughs> he said, supposedly... Jesus, who you think is God, is now hanging on a cross, and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That doesn't make any sense. That's bothered me all of these years. And I said, well, James, let's let's think about it for a second. You know, the penalty for our sins is to be separated from God. And... You know, having a crown of thorns stuck on your head doesn't pay that penalty. Being nailed to a cross doesn't pay that penalty. James, if Jesus hadn't said this, then you and I could be arguing whether or not he really paid the penalty for our sins. Hmm. I'll never forget, he turned around and he said, no one's ever answered that question before. And he said, I guess I've got something to think about. I said, well, James, we've all got things to think about, and I'd be happy to think it through with you. He just nodded his head, grabbed his cables, and left. I never saw him again. But if we think about it, if Jesus hadn't uttered that cry, then we could hear, have an argument about whether or not he really paid the penalty for our sins. But instead, we know. Because he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And why did Jesus say yes to this? Why did he say, not my will, but your will be done? Because of who he is. Because of this true agape the love of God, of who he is, that he was willing from the eternal counsel, as we call it, that he made a decision that he was going to go through this for you and for me. This is the cry, I think, that echoes throughout eternity. Because he cared enough to go through this for you and for me. And he's willing to do that. We see it sometimes around us. Sometimes people show that kind of of sacrificial love. 
From ABC, this is World News Tonight with Peter Jennings. Good evening. The disaster that summoned the Soviet leader so urgently home began at 11.41 in the morning yesterday. Folks were at work, the kids were in school. The earthquake was measured at 7 on the Richter scale. And that is an earthquake capable of doing massive damage. And that seems to be the case. Based on what the International Red Cross knows, they believe that 30,000 people may have lost their lives, maybe more. That maybe 300,000 are homeless, maybe more. These are the ruins of Leninakan. In the central square of the town, the clock shows the exact time disaster struck. The second largest city in Armenia is in ruins. We saw houses turned into heaps of metal and concrete. Schools and kindergartens turned into heaps of rubble. We saw people, their faces full of grief and anguish. A tragedy you cannot express in words. Officials say the prime task is the search for survivors who may still be beneath the rubble. school that had collapsed during school hours and parents ran to that school those who were still alive and many of them began to dig in that rubble desperately trying to find their children and after several hours they slowly one by one began to leave but there is one guy, one dad, who just kept digging. Mm. And he dug for hours, and people would come back and try to pull him off. And he would just say, help me, help me. Mm. He dug through the night and into the next day, and the police tried to come. And he would just say, help me, help me. He dug for three days. And he finally pulled aside a slab, and there was a void there, and his son was staring him in the face. And his son looked at him, and he said, I knew you would come for me. And, and that is our father. No matter where we end up running off to and getting stuck and it doesn't matter. You can trust that he is going to come get you. Why? Psalm 107, we read that, right? Because of the love of God. Remember when Jesus told the parable of the lost sheep? Got a hundred sheep, you lose one. Ah, no, 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 no. Uh-uh. He's going to leave everything and go and hunt down that one sheep. And he'll hunt and hunt until he finds it and put it on his shoulders and bring it home. Do you know there are some who say before the fish became the Christian symbol, do you know what the symbol was, people say, in the beginning? It was a shepherd with a sheep on his, on his shoulders. Why? Because that's God who's come to find you and to bring us home again. 
I, I love this passage. Deuteronomy 31, 6, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. Do not be terrified of the world. For the Lord your God goes with you and he will never leave you nor forsake you. Do you catch the import of these words? We just got through talking about Jesus who is willing to be forsaken. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God forsook him, and he will, but he will never forsake you. Never. Ever. Oh, my. <laughs> who is this God? Who is this God? Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. We read a little bit from Isaiah 52 when we were talking about the scourging of Christ, that he was disfigured beyond any human likeness. That rolls then into Isaiah 53, where we are told that he had no beauty or majesty that would attract us to him. He was despised and rejected. He was a man of suffering, familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces he took up our pain and bore our suffering. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He will bear their iniquity, our iniquity. He bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. We love because he first loved us. And if we think we have been forgiven little, then we will love little. And that is why we have to keep going back into this difficult cave over and over and over again. Because it was our sin that held him on that cross. And it was his love that held him there as well. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast. Beyond all measure That he should give his only son To make a wretch his treasure 
treasure and why would he do all of that for me his love is beyond anything we can imagine and that's why we rejoice rejoice and be glad hallelujah Because he rose from the dead. And he now lives within you. That God who paid that price now lives within you. Oh, who is this God? Nothing, huh? We don't have time to go into the questions and answers. 
uh, this morning, but uh, let's talk a little bit about how long the separation was. The point I think he, that Dell is making in this is that there, the effects of the separation are eternal. But the separation obviously isn't because he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. Uh, how long do you think the separation lasted for? In whatever vein that separation was actually there. It couldn't be a, a complete separation because that would destroy the, the Trinity. So they're just like you can't actually make your kid not your kid. You can, you can have a, a relational separation, but not an actual separation. I would hold to the pre-day Yeah, I think so. Because he says, I have not yet returned my father. Right. Now, maybe, I don't know that it says when he came to the upper room, whether it was the next day or, or a week later. I mean, right. we're, so we're Right. We're surmising that it was later that day. It appears that way, but it may have been many days later. But I, I think that period of time is, the three days is, is good. Uh, I think you can defend that fairly good from Scripture. The, the next question then that you have to logically ask is, where was he Friday night, Saturday, Saturday night, Sunday morning? We know we're talking about Abraham's bosom based on what Jesus taught. On which side was he? The side Lazarus was on or the side the rich man was on? Yeah, I, I think that's the only real assumption you can make in order for the punishment, the payment to be complete and real. I think it has to be that way. But I can tell you, a lot of people would reject that idea. But then they don't, I think, have a full picture of what the sacrifice truly was. And what the requirement was. So, Okay, let's pray. Father, you are the great and awesome God, and you have provided us eternal life at a significant cost to you and Jesus. So thank you for that. Give us the abilities to talk to folks about who you are and, and see folks come to know you. Not because we can do something about that, but because you can work through us to effectuate that. And thank you for giving us those opportunities. And as we continue the service uh, in, in uh, the next hour, that you would be honored and glorified by that as well. Thank you for loving us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for watching or listening to this teaching on demand from Friendship Grace Brethren Church. Please consider sending us an email at info at friendshipgracebrethren.com to let us know how this teaching may have helped you. Please also consider joining us in person at Friendship Grace Brethren Church, located at 10251 Metro Parkway, Suite 116, Fort Myers, Florida, just south of the intersection of Metro and Colonial Boulevard. Sunday school begins at 9 and worship service at 10 a.m. We look forward to seeing you in person at Friendship Grace Brethren Church.